You're listening to the Autism Weekly Podcast. Each week we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness, acceptance, equity, access, and inclusion across the autism community. If you haven't already, subscribe to join the Autism Weekly family. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky, and I'm excited to welcome Jamie Pagliaro from Rethink Behavioral Health to the podcast to discuss the impact of building a strong team culture and how that reduces burnout and turnover among ABA clinicians and families. They say it takes a village to raise a child. This is especially true for children on the spectrum. For some families, it may seem like they have a revolving door of new behavior technicians coming in and out of their life. Jamie, we have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. So I'd love to just start with the idea of we've been in a world where it's employer driven for such a long time and culture doesn't feel like it's been in the forefront until just recently. It feels like all of a sudden the last year or two, culture has become a trigger word. And can you give me your perspective on that and maybe just how you see that evolvement over time? Yeah, I mean, I think like you and I were speaking about earlier, Jeff, you know, having worked in the field of, of human services and specifically uh, autism related services for over 20 years, uh, the issue of employee turnover and staff retention is an evergreen issue. I mean, I think it's something that's been around since, you know, many of us started in this field. Um, but it is really great to see the last couple of years here, this idea of culture sort of coming to the forefront and really this shifting responsibility onto the leadership, onto organizations to build a culture that attracts and retains the type of talent, the type of employees that they want providing uh, care to the individuals they serve. I mean, I think there's a few factors. I mean, we, we're all reading about the, the great resignation um, that has happened. Obviously, COVID has forced a lot of us to uh, rethink uh, how we uh, engage our employees who may be in dispersed geographic locations or may even be working remotely full time. Um, and I just think in general, you know, as people come to interviews these days, I hear in 100% of the interviews that I do, um, candidates asking the question, what is the culture of your organization? Um, and not only is it important to have a response in that moment that you can articulate, but you have to be confident that when that person comes and works at your organization, that the things you told them in the interview are consistent with what they then experience. And that's more than just writing it down on a piece of paper. Now, you've been in uh, the field of mental health and also with being able to work through a dispersed workforce for a while. And culture, I think, is there, there has to be some commonalities amongst the clinical world. What are some of those key pieces that you're seeing, you know, seem to translate over and over again when somebody's looking for a cultural fit? There's got to be a couple things that seem to resonate more frequently. Do you have any examples that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, in terms of what is defining your culture, um, 
I think a lot of people believe that they can write down a value statement and sort of hand that out to employees and say, this is your culture, this is our culture. Or when you're a small startup practice, you're as maybe an owner or as a leader, you're there to sort of impart the culture on everyone because you're directly hiring everybody, you're involved in every meeting, you're involved in every case decision. But suddenly as organizations grow, you realize that just writing it down on a piece of paper or being in meetings is is not sufficient. Um, I think ultimately everybody as humans, we want to be a part of something bigger than just ourselves. We want to feel a, a connection to something larger than just us. But to do that, we need to find that something has common values with our own personal identity, our own personal values. And that's why I think the hiring process is such a key um, uh, inflection point where not only as an employer are we trying to pick the people that we believe are going to fit with our culture, but we're also trying to articulate what our culture is so that that candidate can also make a decision about whether or not this does align with their value system. This is something bigger than themselves that they want to be a part of. So, you know, that's what I would say is the commonality is, is everybody wants to be part of something bigger than just themselves. Um, that can take a lot of different forms and shapes, though, and, and finding that as an employer or as a candidate, I think finding that goodness of fit is a really important question that we should all be wrestling with as leaders and as hiring managers. I, I, I love that insight. I think that oftentimes is that we might even think that we have a culture or that we feel like there's a culture that maybe doesn't even exist. I bet you a lot of our leaders, our managers, uh, people that have maybe uh, some of that oversight responsibility have done some soul searching right now through this process. Wh what do you think it is about being able to kind of step back and observe your employee base and understand their needs, their desires, and maybe kind of helping to support the culture that's being defined for you versus you going out and saying, this is the culture I want. Is there, <laughs> is there a scale to that? Yeah, there's definitely a dance there because whether or not you've been intentional about it or not, there's always a culture. Um, so there's there's never a lack of, of a culture existing within an organization. The question is how intentional as a leader, as an organization, are you being about um, creating or, or maybe a better way of is shaping, contributing to the, the development of that uh, culture. I know when, you know, I started to become more intentional about creating culture within my organization, uh, I started with the question of what are our values? And again, you know, it's easy to go in a back room and for somebody to write down as a leader, here are the values and hand pieces of paper out to everybody and say, this is our values. But I think it was really important for me to begin by listening and trying to understand how our employees perceived our culture. Um, I like to ask employees two questions um, and, and look at themes or patterns in their responses. The first question is the people that we serve, whether you call them a partner, a customer, a client, an individual that serve, the patient, um, the families uh, in, in a human service organization that you're um, delivering services to, what do you believe as an employee our partners value most about us? And you will get some really interesting responses to that. Um, the second question is to ask an employee, 
what are the things that you value most about working here? And I think if you ask the, those two questions to a broad enough set of employees and then you look for the commonalities uh, between what customers perceive as value and what employees see as value, um, you will learn a lot about what your your current culture is. And in fact, you can use that as a starting point for defining your values and your culture. Um, I also encourage people to look at what are the things that differentiate you. You know, somebody says, I, I like working here. Well, why do you like working here? Because the people are friendly. Um, well, probably go into a lot of organizations and somebody would say something similar to that. But perhaps finding an organization that places a high degree of value on collaboration and that sees the importance of bringing people together to solve problems as opposed to seeing who has the best answer to the problem, um, that could be a core value that you know may exist in your organization. And therefore, you may want to go out and look for people that enjoy collaboration versus people that like to be individual contributors. And you talk about values quite a bit. And the values, I mean, it's it's something that it trickles down and it spreads across and there's no hierarchy to values within an organization. It's that the company has to has to wrap around it. They have to yep. become all immersed in that or else you potentially have bad fit. And maybe that's a job that somebody doesn't necessarily fit in because they don't align with the values of the organization. And that's not a bad thing. But at the same time, we have such high turnover in our field right now. We have uh, almost a revolving door of clinicians going into a lot of homes right now, which affects care. And that culture can start to change some of that if it's done appropriately. But how do you do that with a remote workforce that doesn't have as many touch points? Not everybody's working in a brick and mortar building, they're out working at homes and don't get to see their colleagues on a regular basis. So how does that carry over? Yeah, well, I, I've definitely seen the challenges there having worked in home-based services and in uh, center-based services. There's definitely a difference when you've got everybody sitting around the same table or coming into the same building every day versus a workforce that's that's going out and delivering services and representing your organization um, without other members of the organization uh, present. Uh, and and now, you know, leading a technology company, you know, we have many employees that are geographically dispersed. And I would say that when COVID hit, we moved to 100% remote. And it really got me nervous and thinking about, you know, how are we going to make sure that people feel that connection to one another? And, and back to that point, feel that connection to something greater than themselves. Um, I, I do think that um, technology can offer a lot of opportunity um, to have those types of employee engagements. Um, for example, um, my team gets together once a month and we have a topic that we're focused on and it may be something like um, creating and learning about each individual's personal mission or looking at our communication styles or looking at how we resolve conflict when we hit challenges with one another. Uh, and again, real easy to to jump on and make a statement to everybody about you know how to do these things. But what I really find our employees value is being able to engage with one another in conversations and in, in uh, genuine conversations about these types of topics. 
Um, I love using um, online tools where when we bring together large groups of employees, um, first of all, we, we introduce a topic or we introduce a theme such as creating a personal mission statement. We may show some content, but I try to keep that relatively brief to five minutes or less. Then I give our employees opportunity for reflection. You know, not everybody is comfortable just jumping in a meeting with other colleagues to talk about something. So giving people a time to reflect on that topic, write down some of their thoughts, organize themselves, um, really helps them prepare then for getting into small group engagement. And whether I've got 50 employees or 500 employees in a meeting, we always have time where uh, we break folks into small groups of four or five, where we allow for sharing and engagement. Um, so I think using, I know a lot of the tools today have breakout rooms or some similar concept where you can allow employees to, to talk with one another. And you know, you're not there lecturing to them. You're allowing them to have a conversation with one another, but you're providing some choreography around that. Um, and then another, you know, thing that I like to do from a technology perspective is for people to share publicly. So for example, if we, we do an exercise like creating a personal mission statement, all employees then go to a little Google sheet where they get to fill out, um, you know, their personal mission statement where everybody could see that. So I think there's really great ways using technology to create deeper levels of engagement. Uh, it just needs to be done in a thoughtful way, and it also needs to be done in an ongoing format. And we could talk about that later, but it is like working out. It's not a one-time thing and you're in shape. You've got to keep working at it uh, if you want to be intentional. Yeah, the the growth in technology and the fact that it is, it's almost a fluid process right now. It feels like there's more and more opportunity. It's taken those quarterly meetings where you'd have the chance to bring everybody from the company together. Now you can do that more frequently. You can, you can pick and choose and get people from different regions involved. So I love that part of being able to create a, a broader conversation and not just be stuck with the same people in your office all the time, but to actually open it up. What, what are some of the things with technology that maybe we just didn't have access to, to be able to share to the BT level, the, the behavior technician or the BCBA level with the transparency of data. And I found this to be really important is when people know exactly what's happening with their organization, when they know what the, what the numbers are showing for uh, client progress or for how even the finances of the company, when they understand what all their work is being put towards, for growth, for resources, whatever it may be, that that helps to create commonality and to kind of make that bond even closer. Is there technological advances that are occurring in, that, in those realms? Well, gee, with the, with the you know with so much available now, with um, you know big data and being able to aggregate data across functions, like you said, whether that's you know clinical outcomes, uh, operational outcomes, financial performance. Um, I know at our company, you know, we, we've sort of weaved together uh, many of these inputs into um, key performance indicators, dashboards um, that we like to make sure are really accessible and transparent to our team members on a regular basis. Um, but another, you know, activity that we use technology to help us with is 
again, we bring people together for uh, monthly business reviews. And that's a combination of people from all areas of our business, not just the, the clinical folks, but we're bringing in people from operations and finance. And not only are we sharing the data, which I think is key because that's, you know, sort of the, uh, the black and white, you know, here's what the data is. But I think the important piece there is making sure that people have opportunities to um, comment on the insights from the data. Because I see a lot of organizations get obsessed with reporting, 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 yet nobody's saying, well, is the reporting telling us that we're doing a good job or a bad job? So having benchmarks, you know, one of the things I insist on is if we're sharing data, there should either be a goal or a benchmark. So we all know if we're looking at that piece of data, is it is it good or is it not good or is it sort of neutral? Um, and then asking the people that are closest to the data, whether that's a clinician, whether that's a finance person, to provide us with some actionable insights based on the data is also a, a critical activity. And again, something that you need to be intentional about and doing all the time, not just once a year at an annual meeting. Absolutely. And, and I feel like just through the last few years, personally, I've seen is that you're you're seeing more people feel empowered through the process. The more you're able to give them information, the more you might be hearing about pain points that you didn't even know about. You might be hearing about clinical ideas that maybe somebody was too scared to voice up to because they didn't have the right platform. They didn't have the right company culture built in, which sometimes requires systems and technology to support is that you might say, I want transparency. I want people talking. I want to have open dialogue. Is that ideas come from everybody within the company, but if they don't have a platform to do it, you're kind of stuck. Um, so how does that work with, uh, when you're looking at the communication between the BT and the, the behavior analyst who's, who's writing the programs, the person out in the field that's delivering the care, when you have that, culture being built where people feel open and they, they can be a part of it. They can share their experience, good, bad, in between. What are you seeing as far as the field? Are we getting better at that? Is it helping client outcomes? Is it is it creating more of a longevity for somebody in the field? Well, I think, you know, traditionally our field has been very hierarchical, you know, the person with the highest degree says, this is what we need to do. And the people down at the front line are there to implement or carry that out. And again, as our mindset is shifting away from we're the employer, we've got all the answers, you're here to do the job to something that's more collaborative that we're all a part of, you know, I would really challenge leaders to ask questions like, are our employees at the front line encouraged to uh, to take risks? And and I know that that's a challenging question because you don't necessarily want people jumping off of protocols or following policy that we've outlined to keep clients safe and to achieve outcomes. But are we encouraging clinicians to try new things, whether that's a, a reinforcement system or a teaching strategy? Is there you know opportunity for them to try things? To bring that back to the team, um, our our failures 
you know, reward it and looked at as learning opportunities or do they become punishable acts? You know, something where we say you did something wrong, you made a mistake. Um, so I think a lot of this just comes back to the culture that we establish. And again, maybe rethinking some of that culture uh, that we've established, say, do we create an environment? You mentioned the word open, open communication, where people are encouraged to take risks, fail, and then learn from those failures. And that's where I think those those higher level leaders that have wisdom and probably a few battle scars in addition to that advanced degree can really reframe their perspective as not telling people what to do, but helping those individuals that when they hit a failure or a challenge, helping them problem solve and see what they can learn from those experiences. Yeah, and on that note, I'd love to hear your insight on this. This is a conversation that I've been having for a while, but it's about understanding the value of the onboarding process, that initial training process. We are a field that is extremely technical in our language. There's a lot of nuance to every single thing that's going on for somebody who's just at times entering into a new field of behavioral health. Yet, I think that we miss out on really instilling company culture, relationship building, some of those core fundamentals to being a part of a therapeutic relationship because we're so focused on the technical side. Is there, is there a need to immerse more culture right up front in the training process, in ongoing education on culture that will reduce their turnover and burnout and create better clinicians in the long run? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely opportunity in the onboarding process for any company to think about ways to um, infuse culture and messaging around your company and sort of set the the tone around culture. Um, and, you know, some simple ways to do that are, you know, allowing people to not just connect with the trainers and the other people in their uh, their sort of onboarding cohort, but as quickly as possible, giving them opportunities to connect with other people in the organization that have been there and maybe are in different roles or positions. Um, one of the things that I know we love to do at our company is we encourage virtual coffees. Um, and, you know, even in my role, you know, having several hundred people, um, you know, every week I make a point of scheduling a virtual coffee with somebody. And for every new employee that comes on board, uh, I schedule a virtual coffee within their first two weeks. And that really is an opportunity for me to get to know people on a deeper level than just what was on their resume, because I may not have interviewed or been a part of their hiring process. It also allows me to share some of my personal experience and, and what I'm about as a human, not just what my job title is and what my functions are. Um, and then through those conversations is to really um, be able to also highlight some of the things about our culture. Um, so I guess my takeaway is, yes, I think onboarding is important, but I, I think if you wanna do this well, sort of like an exercise routine, you know, some people think I'm going to go do exercise for a few weeks and I'm going to get in shape for the beach and then I'm in shape. But as we all know, whether it's diet or exercise, you know, you've got to maintain after you do that initial lift. And so I think, yes, hiring, onboarding, there's an initial lift there and opportunities to infuse culture. 
But then it really is about ongoing discipline. How are you bringing people together individually in groups uh, to continue the focus on culture building um, beyond just when they first join your team? So uh, would you assume that it's uh, the aggregate of all of the culture building, the company supporting the employees on the uh, practice of that culture? helping to empower those within the organization to help to build new components of the culture if it's necessary that helps to alleviate some of the highs and lows that are ever present in the aba and behavioral health field where every day could be its own adventure you could be kicked <laughs> on, they spit on one day and then the next day you could see a child develop three four new skills that they never had before so you have highs and lows Does that help with team morale as just the aggregate process of, you know, we're going to stay consistent. We're going to help support everybody and we're going to build all these systems in. Or is there a magic pill? (laughs) (laughs) I think if there was a magic pill, we'd all be in line for it. Um, You know, I think now you're going back to to leadership and, and in any field, whether you know, in human services and and having worked in environments where, you know, patients or individuals that we serve are engaging in challenging behaviors, or even now in my present day world of, of running a technology company where we work with providers that are dealing with those challenges, and, and, and we have some of our own that we're managing on an ongoing basis. Um, I think as leaders, you know, we need to do a few things. First of all, stability is, is key, right? You know, never getting too excited or too brought down. And to help normalize um, certain things that are part of the job. Um, yes, you know we're going to have challenges working with a new client who's going through an extinction burst. And let's try to help people understand what that's about. Let's let's normalize that. Of course, let's be responsive to uh, our team members to make sure that they feel safe in that situation, that they feel properly equipped and that they know what to do if they need help from a colleague or they need to reach out for help if they're in a home-based environment. Um, But I think, you know, our field can definitely scare some people off, right, pretty easily. Uh, They come in and it can be overwhelming. And uh, I think being able to normalize some of those experiences and bring that sense of stability in as a leader is really important. Yeah. And I mean, you have the opportunity you have a forum through a Facebook group. And I'd, li- I'd like to hear a little bit more about that, where you chat about building company culture. Um, I guess, A, where do people find that? But B, what is the overall gestalt coming from the group on their pain points? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, Recently, I posted some information in one of the ABA business groups I was in about making uh, some of the resources that I've developed available to other folks that might be interested in this topic. And I was, I was frankly a little overwhelmed and surprised and, and inspired at the same time by the level of response um, of people that are working in clinical leadership positions or who have started their own practices who see culture as a huge need and a huge priority. And so uh, we started a Facebook group, ABA Culture Community, as a forum for people to share resources, discuss ideas, get wisdom from one another. Um, One of the things that really uh, has caught my attention is when people uh, join the group, uh, there's not a big application process. You, You answer one question, which is why is 
why is culture important to you? Um, and I would say the vast majority of clinicians and company owners that respond to that question uh, make the connection between having a strong culture ultimately impacts the care that we provide and the outcomes that we're trying to achieve with our clients. So I think people recognize this as not just about, you know, I want happy employees, but but something even bigger, which is if we care for the people that are going out there and caring for the individuals we serve, we're going to get a better outcome. We're going to get a better impact by by doing that. And so I think that's that's one of the biggest things I've noticed is just how deeply our field cares about this topic and sees that building culture, being intentional about culture does connect to the, the outcomes that you're trying to deliver with the individuals you serve. Yeah, and I, I totally appreciate the fact that you were able to create that forum because, I mean, organizationally, we all need to be able to establish this. Industry-wide, this is a whole different thing, and it's nice to bring together all aspects of the industry to talk about how to be able to do it within our field and what are those key areas and what we can learn from each other because we are talking patient care we're not talking about did i hit my profit it's we're talking about patient care and, and giving all we can to all the children and adults that we serve and in order to do that like you said culture is so important to be able to be that bridge um and i do know that uh I mean, through Rethink Behavioral Health, which is a technology group, you guys also have trainings on this for the RBTs built in and for the organizations. So how do people find more about that platform or how do they access your continued education series? Sure. Um, I mean, we have a website, RethinkBH or RethinkBehavioralHealth.com that folks can visit to learn more about our technology tools, which offer um, a platform for collecting clinical data, for managing your operation as a practice, and uh, and for staff training. And we're also using that platform um, to share out more about activities and resources people can do to further engage their employees. Um, last year, um, through we have an, another area of our company that delivers employee benefits to large Fortune 500 companies, and and the the core benefit that we would offer was a support for parents and caregivers of children with autism, where they can get online resources and supports. Um, through that area of our business, uh, we brought in another technology company last year called Will W H I L dot com. Um, and they offer a mobile app that really is targeting employee well-being and professional resilience, um, two critical topics. You know, you need folks to be uh, stable in their personal lives and, and have a sense of well-being to even be able to come and engage professionally. And then as a professional, I mean, you were talking about this before the highs and lows, but but developing that professional resilience is also a, a key skill for you know, any professional. Um, and so um, through that, we're now able to offer our uh, behavioral health providers access to another layer of tools to, uh, to support that employee engagement and culture building. Uh, that's so valuable. Oftentimes we talk about uh, with parents is that they have to be able to take care of themselves first in order to take care of their family. And I think that sometimes we do forget. And I'm glad that you're highlighting it. 
is that we need to do the same for the clinicians that are out there doing the work as well. Is that if you're not taking care of their well-being, if you're not looking at what they need and being cognizant that their job is probably one of the most difficult out there, it's going to be hard for them to be able to continue to be able to do their job at the top level, but also be involved with creating that culture that you want and those values that you want because burnout will exist. Do you have any, I want to, I want to make sure because you've had such exposure to so many people on this topic, but I just like to give you the final thoughts. I want to hear if you, if you have a group of people right now, albeit families, behavior technicians, BCBAs listening, what would you be telling them right now would be the most important thing to start these conversations within their organization? Sure. I think, you know, first of all, establish what your core values are. Uh, And again, I don't think that's something that you go off and do with the executive committee and walk out with a a piece of paper that you hand out there. But I think that's something that you need to actively engage your employees in establishing what your core values are. I think that's the first step and something that if, if you haven't done that or you haven't looked at that core value statement that maybe you put on a piece of paper a few years ago, start by prioritizing that, start by having conversations with your employees and really all your stakeholders, your vendor partners, your uh, the families that you serve, you know, understanding what values are important to, uh, to your organization. Uh, the second thing is create opportunities for people to reinforce those values. Um, a really simple thing that we do at our company, I mean, we have four key values that we talk about all the time, uh, collaboration, open communication, customer focus, and caring for one another. And we have a team vision board where any member of the company can go on that and they can recognize another employee in the company for one of those four values. And then they can also state explicitly a behavior or a set of behaviors that uh, that employee exhibited that, you know, demonstrated that value. So I think, you know, as a starting point, I mean, there's a lot more to it, but as a starting point, establishing your core values and giving people an opportunity to highlight and reinforce, and anybody, not just the leaders, anybody within the organization can recognize uh, someone else for embodying those values. It's a really great place to start, Jeff. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. I think that the insight that you provided, A, gives a glimpse into what you're offering to your own employees, is that there's obviously a very strong focus on your company culture, but it's those further dialogues is that I can see is that it's immersing, it's kind of blending directly into the field itself. And you're starting those conversations with others, which I think are so needed right now. Um, and I appreciate the fact that you're doing that. And thank you for coming on to chat about this today. It's such an enlightening topic. Thanks for having me, Jeff. And for anybody out there that's interested in building stronger culture within their organizations, keep at it. I think just continuing to have the conversations, to ask the questions, and to try to continue to be intentional about it is probably the most valuable thing that you could do to build the culture that you want to work in and that will attract other people to want to work with you. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. 
Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank <music> you.